This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. I think we need to rip off the Band-Aid. I think we need to move on with new leadership that can be trustworthy. You just heard Matt Gates confirm that he'll be filing a motion to remove Kevin McCarthy from his position as House Speaker, which is bold. And the move comes after McCarthy struck a last minute deal with Democrats to temporarily fund the government until November 19th, with 90 Republicans voting against the funding bill. Now, that bill does not include funding for Ukraine, nor does it include these steep spending cuts that the far right wanted. And that has caused a lot of anger within the GOP, namely amongst individuals like Matt Gates, who were demanding it. Now, on Friday, we did a deep dive into this dynamic between Gates and McCarthy. And when it looked like a government shutdown was an inevitability. The main takeaway that I said was that basically McCarthy was bound by the demands of individuals like Matt Gates, since one of the conditions that he agreed to in order to become speaker in the first place was to allow a single lawmaker to challenge his position as speaker. But he defied Matt Gates here, and now Gates is coming for his throat in response. But unfortunately for Matt Gates, he may have overplayed his hand a little bit because he's starting to realize that his colleagues aren't really on board with his antics. For example, in that same interview with Jake Tapper, he admitted that McCarthy probably has the votes to remain speaker, at least currently. So how many Republicans do you think will be with you in your motion to vacate? Because obviously for people at home who don't know, you need 218 votes to get him out of the speakership. You don't have 218 Republican votes. You're going to need Democrats. Let's start with the Republicans. How many Republicans do you have? Well, enough so that when you host this show next week, if Kevin McCarthy is still the Speaker of the House, he will be serving at the pleasure of the Democrats. He will be working for the Democrats. The only way Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House at the end of this coming week is if Democrats bail him out. Now, they probably will. I actually think that when you believe in nothing, as Kevin McCarthy does, everything's negotiable. Okay, but let's and I think be, he'll let's cut be, a deal with, be, with the Democrats. Let's be honest here, though, because if you succeed in, in vacating him, you also will have to make a deal with the Democrats. You also will have to get Democratic votes to kick him out. Uh, absolutely. I will make no deal with Democrats and concede no terms to them. I actually think Democrats should vote against Speaker McCarthy for free. I don't think I should have to deal with oh, them. So anything. you're not going to cut any deals with him? Absolutely not. And I don't think that uh, any Republicans uh, that ha- share my view on Speaker McCarthy would cut deals with Democrats. But here's the thing I'm done owning Kevin McCarthy, right? We made a deal at the end of January. Jan- in January to allow him to assume the speakership. And I'm not owning him anymore because he doesn't tell the truth. And so if Democrats want to own Kevin McCarthy by bailing him out, I can't stop him. But then he'll be their speaker, not mine. I mean, the hubris here is astonishing. You have one lawmaker openly talking about how he owned the Speaker of the House, 
And that's technically true, right? He was pulling all of the strings up until this point, but that puts him at odds with every other Republican who doesn't have as big of a say, who doesn't have as much leverage, whose priorities take a back seat so Matt Gates can be appeased by McCarthy. And on the House floor on Monday, Gates implied that he is still indeed planning to follow through with his motion to vacate, and he suggested that he'll be able to convince other Republicans to get on board who aren't currently on board once they find out the details about this secret deal that McCarthy supposedly struck with Biden when it comes to funding Ukraine. It is becoming increasingly clear who the Speaker of the House already works for, and it's not the Republican conference. Mr. Speaker, I would ask that these questions be answered soon because there may be other votes coming today or later this week that could, could be implicated by the answers to these questions. Members of the Republican Party might vote differently on a motion to vacate if they heard what the Speaker had to share with us about his secret side deal with Joe Biden on Ukraine. Now, we're going to come back to what other Republicans are saying in a moment, but Ukraine funding was not included in this deal, presumably to get Republicans on board, even though 90 of them still voted against it. But Gates isn't unreasonable to assume that there is some sort of a private agreement between McCarthy and Biden that Republicans currently aren't privy to. As The Hill explains, Biden alluded Sunday to the existence of a deal to bring up Ukraine funding. When asked by a reporter if he will be able to trust McCarthy when the next deal comes around, Biden responded, we just made one about Ukraine, so we'll find out. But McCarthy said otherwise. Quote, I don't think the president implied that at all, McCarthy told reporters Monday morning. So McCarthy is being really coy, not saying that there's a deal, and he's basically saying now, look, I'm not going to agree to Ukraine funding even if I support it until we get border funding first. So if we don't get funding for the border, no funding for Ukraine. But still, the Biden administration confirmed that there's some agreement there, right? So I don't necessarily think that it's unreasonable for Matt Gates to assume that there is some sort of a deal. Whether or not he's going to use the details of that deal to oust McCarthy is an entirely different story because it just doesn't seem like he has the support. Meanwhile, after McCarthy put his speakership in jeopardy, arguably, to specifically shun people like Matt Gates. Well, can you guess who McCarthy is blaming for the potential shutdown and all of the shenanigans from last week? The people who saved his ass, the Democrats. He's actually trying to blame Democrats for the potential uh, government shutdown that could have taken place last week. And it's such a laughably dishonest claim that the CBS pundit who was interviewing him literally laughed in his face when he said it. I wasn't sure it was going to pass. You want to know why? Because the Democrats tried to do everything they can not to let it pass. They did Democrats dilatory. were the ones who voted you, for this did you in a did you larger watch? number than Republicans to, to keep the continuing resolution alive. Did you watch the floor yesterday? Yesterday. Oh, yes. Okay. The Republicans voted against it. What a Weasley little liar. It's just you can't take him serious. This is such a dishonest person. Right. And he knows that what he's saying is wrong, but he's still saying it to save face for what it's worth. Now, as the host pointed out, the Republicans were the ones who opposed it. Ninety of them voted against it. Don't you think that if Democrats opposed it, they would have voted against it? Don't you think that if Democrats opposed it, they would be the ones trying to oust you right now and not Republicans? 
I mean, Republicans are so pissed that they are trying to oust him, at least Matt Gates is. And this claim is so serious that he actually talked to Trump about the ouster, presumably because if Trump's on board, then Trump is the one who could rally the troops to get McCarthy out of there. Have you spoken to Mr. President Trump about this? I have. And what, what was his advice to you? Uh, I think I'm going to keep that between the two of us. Have you talked to Speaker McCarthy? Hmm. But according to McCarthy, it's the Democrats who are mad. Unbelievable. Now, I do believe that Gates spoke with Trump because he is going to need Trump to rally the other Republicans to vote with him if they're actually going to get rid of McCarthy. But him not saying what Trump told him tells me that he did not get Trump's blessing. Otherwise, he'd be bragging about it, right? But I mean... What's important is that McCarthy doesn't seem worried, which says a lot, right? And in response to Gates's threat, this is what he said, quote, so be it, bring it on. Let's get over with it and let's start governing. So all of a sudden, McCarthy has this newfound confidence that wasn't there up until the last minute of last week. Hmm. Now, this newfound confidence tells me that someone or maybe multiple people gave him the assurance that they'd have his back in the event Matt Gage tried to oust him. And I'm assuming that this is the case because he would not have agreed to this deal if he actually thought that it would put his speakership in jeopardy, which is why it took so long, probably because he wanted to make sure that this wasn't going to lead to him being ousted. So he probably secured the votes or made some deals with other Republicans and possibly Democrats to make sure that him agreeing to this temporary funding measure would not lead to the end of his job. And he's right to be confident because now it appears as if this entire debacle is starting to blow up in Matt Gates's face and not in Kevin McCarthy's face. So Republicans are now publicly calling on Matt Gates to stand down. For example, here's what Republican Tom McClintock said in response to Gates's threat to oust McCarthy. We are faced with the threat that a Republican will move to vacate the Republican Speaker of the House. It will only require four other Republican members to join the Democrats to achieve this result. The immediate effect will be to paralyze the House indefinitely because no other business can be taken up until a replacement is elected. I cannot conceive of a more counterproductive and self-destructive course than that. The supreme irony is that this is being initiated by self-described conservatives. Do they honestly believe that when the Democrats side with them to remove a Republican speaker, that they will then side with them to name a more conservative replacement? Of course not. The Democrats will certainly recruit the most liberal Republicans to establish a left-of-center coalition to run the House. And that right there is why other Republicans are not on board with Gates's bid to oust McCarthy, because love him or hate him, McCarthy is the best choice for fascists. So if you oust him, then odds are you're going to get someone who's more moderate and who's not going to do as much as McCarthy is willing to do. And Republican Jason Smith echoed the same sentiment on Fox News. It's an absolute waste of time if he brings a motion to vacate. The only way a motion to vacate could be successful is if Matt Gates did exactly what he yells at Speaker McCarthy doing, and that's working with the Democrats. But in fact, he'd have to get more than 200 plus Democrats to 
join him to remove Kevin McCarthy because more than 200 Republicans are 100 percent behind Speaker McCarthy. So needless to say, some Republicans are very much annoyed with Matt Gates to the point where they're willing to say that vocally. Even Newt Gingrich condemned his threat, saying on Twitter, is Gates secretly an agent for the Democratic Party? No one else is doing as much to undermine, weaken and cripple the House GOP. When you've lost Newt Gingrich, You've gone too far as a Republican, but it gets so much worse for Matt Gates because some of his GOP colleagues are now quietly trying to expel him from Congress, literally. As HuffPost explains, quote, we want him out. One unnamed Republican lawmaker told CNN in a report published Sunday, Gates is under investigation by the Ethics Committee over sexual misconduct, illicit drug use and corruption allegations. The Republican lawmaker told CNN Gates could be ousted by those who oppose him if he's found guilty. Fox News reported that members of the House Republican Conference are preparing a motion to expel Gates if the Ethics Committee's report does not clear him of wrongdoing. Quote, no one can stand him at this point, a smart guy without morals, one member said, according to Fox News White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich. Yeah, so we've only heard a couple of Republicans condemn Matt Gates publicly, but privately, they all fucking hate him. And Matt Gates is very much aware of the fact that all of the Republican caucus hates him. And in response to that last report from Fox News, he tweeted out this image of himself in order to make light of the situation. And I take this as evidence that he knows he's in deep shit and he's pissed off a lot of people. Now, someone who could theoretically come to the rescue and stop this ouster from taking place is the Speaker of the House. But he made Kevin McCarthy public enemy number one. And McCarthy was actually asked about this. And even though he didn't give a direct answer, the look on his face says it all. My colleague Jackie Heinrich is reporting that some of your Republican colleagues want to remove Matt Gates from Congress if the Ethics Committee finds he did something wrong. Uh, some suggesting he's a smart guy with no morals. What about that? Should he be kicked out of Congress if he did something wrong? The guys believe I, I let the constituents select who they want to be there. Uh, but you're responsible for your behavior when you're in Congress. I don't get involved in ethics complaints. I'm focused. Look, we've got 46 more days to get to keep this government moving to secure our border, eliminate wasteful spending in the wokeism. And we only do that if we lock arms together and we're going to do everything in our power. I'm not going to give up if if somebody in the in the party wants to stop us from getting the most conservative bill. I'm going to go to the next and the next and the next. So ironically, Matt Gates could be the one who gets ousted, not McCarthy, but we'll just have to wait and see. Although some Republicans do think that expelling him is a little bit too far or a step too far, I should say, even if they don't agree with the motion to vacate. Newt Gingrich, for example, tweeted the effort to expel Matt Gates for being a destructive, irresponsible anti-Republican may be a step too far. Expulsion from the House requires a two thirds vote. However, expelling him from the House Republican Conference and eliminating all of his committee assignments and all resources other than those an individual member is entitled to would be a rational response to his suicidal efforts to cripple the House GOP. Now, Marjorie Greene denounced his motion to vacate, but still said that he shouldn't be expelled, saying a Republican-led effort to expel Matt Gates absolutely will not be tolerated by Republicans across the country. I can guarantee you that. Remember when 11 Republicans voted against me and 10 Republicans voted to impeach President Trump? Both the motion to vacate and expulsion plans are wrong. In other words, guys, we're all fascists. Can't we all just get along? Well, no, because the problem is you have a bunch of unethical, power-hungry people engaged in nonstop pissing contests, and when you have that type of dynamic, things 
tend to not run very smoothly. But I mean, regardless if McCarthy is the one who's ousted or Matt Gates is expelled or both of them end up keeping their current positions, I know I'm going to sit back and enjoy every single second because the less effective the Republican Party is because of their infighting, the less harm they're able to do. And that's a good thing. So I say, let them fight. I'm going to enjoy the show. If five if five Republicans go with Democrats, then I'm out. So it's what it's it's that whether probably so. The yeas are two sixteen, the nays are two ten. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. For the first time in American history, the Speaker of the House has been removed. And as you saw, he knew it was coming. He saw the writing on the wall, especially after Democrats made it clear that they were not going to bail him out. And at the start of this whole saga on Sunday, when Matt Gates said he was planning to file a motion to vacate, even he didn't think he had enough votes. But a lot changed since then. And um, one of the biggest factors here was Democrats choosing to not sit this one out. They joined Republicans like Matt Gates in voting to oust McCarthy. Now, here's what Jayapal said in the lead up to the vote. They are destroying our institution. What does, that does that mean? Does that mean voting impact. present? Like, how is this no, going to play out? We are, we are not voting in any way that would help save Speaker McCarthy. So either present or voting against impact, him. This does impact Democrats in a sense, right? I mean, you guys are trying to fund the government. You're trying to pass the farm bill. You're this trying to pass a democratic the problem. As much as anybody out here might want to make it a democratic problem, this is not a democratic problem. This is a Republican problem. They supposedly have the majority. They should be able to pick their own speaker. Our speaker is Hakeem Jeffries. It always has been. It, w it was for 15 rounds. It will continue to be. So does is that the mean I'm here that just nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy? Nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. Nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. And why should we? And that lack of Democratic support right there is ultimately what I think sealed McCarthy's fate. And prior to the vote, he made it very clear that he had no interest in working with Democrats to save his ass. So uh, let's listen. Are you ruling out any sort of power sharing agreement with Democrats or any sort of yeah, deals look, with Democrats? That doesn't work. Look, I, I, I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. One gets things done. Um, look, I, I know we live in... Uh, our government's designed to have compromise. But look, we're in the majority. You, you don't surrender. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he said that before or after he already knew that they weren't going to save him. But either way, it didn't seem like he had much of a choice here. Right. Democrats let him sink. And that he did. And McCarthy was talking a really big game in the lead up to this vote. For example, he dared Matt Gates on Twitter to file the motion, tweeting, bring it on, to which Matt Gates responded, just did after he officially filed the motion to vacate. And, uh, you know, when you watch the video of McCarthy, all of that arrogance that we saw from him on Sunday and Monday was gone. He looked deflated. So something changed. And I think that he realized, oh, this isn't as sure of a bet as I initially thought it was right on Sunday. Again, Matt Gates even didn't necessarily seem like he felt like he had the votes, but that changed. McCarthy did not initially expect this to be successful, but I mean, he rolled the dice and in the end, 
he lost. He got fucked big time. Now, we will get to some reactions in a moment, but first, I do want to show you the lead up to the ousting because the pro-McCarthy Republicans, needless to say, were absolutely pissed. And Republican Chip Roy had a very strong message from Matt Gates. Matt, me and call me a rhino. You can kiss my ass. Look, I've spent a lifetime fighting for limited government conservatism. I have laid it all on the line. I've not seen my family but for two days in the last 30 days. You go around talking your big game and you thumping your chest on Twitter. Yeah, come to my office, come have a debate, mother. You know why? Because I'm standing up for this country every single day. Mm, those sound like fighting words to me. Love to see this. Now, on the House floor, it was also very heated. There was a lot of attacks specifically on Matt Gates. He had to absorb the blows. They would attack him. He'd then respond. And these were attacks that were coming from Republicans, right? And many of them pointed out how Gates was doing this all for attention, which I do think is true, right? And one of them pointed out that he was fundraising off of this, and this was all about him and the show and political theater. But Gates actually had some really solid responses to these Republicans, in particular, when they called him out for fundraising off of this, he had a very good response, in my opinion, that actually led to some Republican boos. And when it comes to how those raise money, I take no lecture on asking patriotic Americans to weigh in and contribute to this fight from those who would grovel and bend knee for the lobbyists and special interests who own our leadership, who have, oh, boo all you want, who have hollowed out this town and have borrowed against the future of our future generations. I'll be happy to fund my political operation through the work of hardworking Americans, 10 and 20 and $30 at a time, and you all keep showing up at the lobbyist fundraiser and see how that goes for you. I reserve. Look, credit where it's due, that right there was an incredible response from Matt Gates, And I don't like to ever give him credit, but that right there is how it's done, right? Any lawmaker who's going to put other politicians on blast for corruption, I'm going to applaud that. But aside from the attacks on Gates, the pro-McCarthy Republicans also tried to make the case for McCarthy, and it came off as very fake. Like, we're not going to look at all of these videos, but Elise Stefanik was very overly encouraging of McCarthy. He's just a boy. Who cares about America? It was, it was so disingenuous. But somebody who, if they were going to have any effect, would have been an individual like Jim Jordan, who a lot of far-right Republicans initially wanted to be speaker in place of McCarthy, but he did not support this ouster. Jim Jordan was making the case for McCarthy. But when it's all said and done, even that was not resonating with Matt Gates because look at the way that he shut down what Jim Jordan said about McCarthy. We have done the oversight that we're supposed to do. Because of our oversight, we know that parents were targeted by the Department of Justice. Because of our oversight, we know that 51 former intel officials misled the country weeks before the most important election we have. And because of our oversight, the disinformation governance board at the Department of Homeland Security is gone. Because of our oversight, the memo attacking pro-life Catholics has been rescinded. Because of our oversight, unannounced visits to Americans' home by the Internal Revenue Service has stopped. That happened under Speaker McCarthy. And on the third one, on this side, of the, we know there's a big old ugly bill coming at the end of the year. All kinds of spending, all kinds of garbage in it. We're still in that fight. Frankly, to Matt's point, we don't know how that one's going to shake out. But we do know this. We do know this, on Saturday, we didn't take the Senate's bill. They tried to send over and shove it down our throats on Saturday. We didn't take that bill. And it was a tough position he was in. 
There were five options on the table last week. Option one was to send a long-term CR over there. That would have leveraged the 1% cut, something a bunch of us voted for. Both parties couldn't get the votes for that one. Second option was to focus on the one issue the country now is completely focused on, the border issue. We couldn't get the votes for that one either. But when the Senate tried to send us that bill, he said no to it. I think the Speaker has kept his word. I know my colleagues and friends are saying different. I think he has kept his word on those three things that we talked about on January 3rd, frankly, that entire week. He has kept his word. I think we should keep him as Speaker. I yield back. Gentleman from Florida is recognized. Yeah, the, the problem with my friend from Ohio's uh, argument is that many of the bills he referenced as having passed are not law. We are on a fast track to an omnibus bill, and it is difficult to champion oversight when House Republicans haven't even sent a subpoena to Hunter Biden. So it's hard to make the argument that oversight is the reason to continue when it sort of looks like failure theater. Failure theater is a very good line. And there was also a moment where Matt Gates talked about the sham impeachment inquiry into Biden. So in trying to do all of this, I do think that the Republicans who are saying that Matt Gates is operating at the behest of Democrats, there is something to it. I don't think that that's Matt Gates's intention. I do think that he's doing this uh, because he just he just wants the eyeballs on him. He wants to flex. But I think that this is genuinely helping Democrats. So Republicans who see that and point that out are correct to be pissed. But the problem is that, you know, all of these failures that Matt Gates is talking about and he's correct about, well, it's likely going to be exacerbated because McCarthy was the most far right speaker that Republicans could possibly get. So it's hard to imagine a more hardline conservative getting the gavel that would appease an individual like Matt Gates and even even others like Lauren Boebert, who initially didn't want to vote for McCarthy to become speaker, voted against this because I think they saw that it's McCarthy or someone who's more moderate. And um, this is all going to plunge the entire House into further chaos because other conservatives are going to be jockeying for that position. There's going to be a power struggle. There's going to be factionalization. In fact, these are all things that Matt Gates warned people about back when Paul Ryan was speaker, and the far right back then wasn't satisfied with him either. If we take Paul Ryan off the field right now, instead of being able to finish strong in the 115th Congress, we will shatter into a bunch of factions fighting against each other for power. We got enough of that in Washington already. Oh, how the tables have turned. And now because of Matt Gates, the Republican Party is going to be further factionalized because of this. I mean, we are seeing open infighting where Chip Roy saying, come to my office and say that to my face, mother. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, now, this power struggle is going to be incredibly entertaining. In fact, it's already very entertaining. Uh, and I do want to get some immediate reactions because I think it's safe to say that Fox News was very, very pissed off. And the meltdowns that we saw from them were great because as they are denouncing this move, they're also simultaneously praising Democrats like Nancy Pelosi for no reason. But they did it. So let's watch. Former President Trump weighing in on Truth Social saying, quote, why is it that Republicans are always fighting among themselves? Why aren't they fighting the radical left Democrats who are destroying our country? Judge Janine. I'm furious. First of all, we're without a speaker. This is historic. 
Something like this hasn't happened in well over 100 years. And now what we've got is total chaos when the Republicans are playing out their infighting on national television in a historic way instead of fighting Joe Biden's policies. The one time we are up in virtually every metric as it relates to the Biden administration, you've got the Republicans going out there and showing how dysfunctional they are as Matt Gates is engaging in fundraising. And I got to tell you something. I am furious. There's no question that this is something that they have been trying to do for almost nine months that McCarthy's been speaker. And the truth is that they've done a lot in Congress. They've got a lot of bills passed. The fact that the Senate doesn't want to take them. They've done a lot in terms of oversight. And, you know, now you've got the Democrats. This is a crazy thing. Democrats who hate the MAGA Republicans are now joining with the MAGA Republicans to oust uh, Speaker McCarthy. This is like the devil is in the middle of all of this chaos. And Donald Trump is right. Why are the Republicans fighting with each other like this? Uh, they, they shot themselves in the foot. And by foot, I mean head. Uh, it's, it's okay. So everybody's, they broke promises. I had to go find out what these promises were, right? He promised to use the 2022 baseline numbers as appropriation numbers for this year. And he didn't. Are you angry? He promised not to let bills pass with support of more Dems than Republicans. Maybe he didn't. Are you pissed? I don't know. Not to take up a bill with unanimity among Republicans on the House Rules Committee. McCarthy denies making the two latter promises. So who's telling the truth? I don't know. I'm not sure that I care because I'm with Trump on this. I mean, we're talking about this instead of the border, instead of crime, instead of inflation. Every time the Republicans implode, you just give the Democrats more cover than Gerald Nadler's underpants. We have serious issues right here, right? And instead of uniting and fighting for the people of America who can sense that this country is going in a really bad direction, we're doing this. I get it. It's a historic event, but it's like one of the few historic events that I don't care about. This has no effect on our viewers. Does it make our streets safer? No. Does it make our borders real again? No. Does it make our gas prices go down? No. It's just sound and fury signifying incompetence. And I get I get my sense is this was a personal thing. It's a personal thing that's being acted out publicly. And you know what? It's kind of pathetic. You hear a lot about the impossible job of managing a caucus like this. He only had a five-seat majority. That is the same number that Nancy Pelosi had, and she managed just fine. Nothing like this ever happened when Nancy Pelosi was in charge. I cannot express how much I am loving this, because if our government isn't actually going to serve the American people and do anything for us, the least they can do is entertain us, and they're doing that. And I am thoroughly enjoying all of this. And the best part is that this is only the beginning because we are about to watch the shitstorm of the century ensue as the GOP in the House scrambles to find someone to replace Speaker McCarthy. And that is going to be a very, very difficult task that might not happen in the near future. So here's what to expect in the immediate future. NBC News reports, the office of the Speaker has been declared vacant. This does not immediately trigger a new Speaker election, however, because of a succession list McCarthy submitted to the House clerk in January. That list isn't public. In other words, we're not going to know who's going to be the temporary Speaker. Since 2000, 
2003 House rules have required the Speaker to submit a list of names to the clerk of members to act in the case of his or her vacancy. According to Rule 1, Clause 8 of the House rules, the next person on that list shall act as Speaker pro tempore until the election of a Speaker or a Speaker pro tempore. So whoever is first on McCarthy's list will take over as Speaker in an acting capacity. This is a different situation than in January when the House started a new session and could not start any legislative business until a Speaker was elected. Because it was the beginning of a new Congress, the House needed to elect a Speaker in order to swear in members and pass the rules package. So because there's going to be an immediate, albeit temporary, successor named by McCarthy, this means that electing a new Speaker now isn't as urgent as it was back in January when nobody could even be sworn in until the Speaker was named. In other words, this battle could go on for a prolonged period of time, and the longer it takes for them to find a new Speaker, the more strain it's going to put on the House GOP, the more unserious it makes them look to the American public, and I think that's good. I think this is a good day in America, where the fascist party is openly cannibalizing itself and demonstrating to the American people that they are incapable of governing. So buckle up, my friends, because that's going to be a wild ride, and I'm going to enjoy every single second. Sources telling me at this hour, some House Republicans have been in contact with and have started an effort to draft former President Donald Trump to be the next speaker. And I have been told uh, that uh, President Trump might be open to helping the Republican Party, at least in the short term, if necessary, uh, if it's needed. Fallout from yesterday's vote to oust Kevin McCarthy as speaker continues today, but the search for the next speaker is already underway, with Sean Hannity reporting that Donald Trump is actually being floated as a potential replacement, at least according to his sources. Now, something tells me that the source in question here is just Donald Trump, because when Trump was asked about this, his response was nearly identical to what Hannity's source told him. Would you take a job? A lot of people have asked me about it. I'm focused. You know, we're leading. I don't know you. I'm sure you don't read too much in the papers. But we're leading by like 50 points for president. You know, my focus is totally on that. If I can help them during the process, I would do it. So Trump is willing to, quote, help but I don't know what that means. Are you saying that you would temporarily step in because that's not needed since there's already a temporary speaker? So what exactly does help look like with regard to your role here? And I don't think that he knows, but basically once this was spoken into the universe, Republicans were very quick to get on board. Republican Troy Nell, for example, intends to nominate Donald Trump and claims that other Republicans are also willing to get on board, writing on Twitter, many America First patriots support my nomination of Donald J. Trump as the next Speaker of the House. I have personally spoken with Representative Luna, Greg Stube, Ronnie Jackson, Barry Moore, and many others. Let's make America and the House great again. But wait, there's more, because Marjorie Taylor Green also endorsed Trump, saying, The only candidate for speaker I am currently supporting is President Donald J. Trump. She later added, He has a proven four-year record as President of the United States of America. He received a record number of Republican votes of any Republican presidential candidate. We can make him speaker and then elect him president. He will make America great again. So he's got the coveted MTG endorsement. Shocker, I know. But what do more influential Republicans have to say about this? Because Jim Jordan, who also is considering throwing his hat in the race, was asked about this. And um, here's what he said. Donald Trump has been contacted uh, about possibly him being an interim speaker. Is that a reality? 
I, I don't know. I, he'd be great, but I, I, actually, I want Donald Trump to be the next president of the United States. If he wants to be speaker, well, he great. Still, but, well, he, uh, I'll, I want, I'll be I want clear. Him, I want him to be he'd president still of the United run for States. President. He'd still, go, he's Good. still going to be I, running for president. Right. That's where we need him is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. If he wants to be speaker, then that's fine, too. Oh, Trump wants to run. Well, mm, I was considering running myself, but I mean, I guess that if Trump wants it, then I'll happily step aside. Anything for Daddy Trump? In fact, Mr. Trump, if you're watching, uh, sir, do you need me to wash your car or pick up your suits from the dry cleaners? Embarrassing. Now, the question is, can a former president who's not a member of the House become the speaker? And the answer to that question is yes. However, Earlier this year, Republicans unknowingly adopted rules that would later disqualify Donald Trump. As HuffPost explains, there's a big problem with the GOP plan to make Trump the first non-member to wield the gavel, their own rules. Representative Sean Kasten gave his Republican colleagues a reminder of Rule 26, which was adopted in January and states that any GOP leader indicted of a felony with a potential prison sentence of two years or more needs to step aside. Trump has been indicted on 91 felony charges, many of which carry potential sentences far above two years. So, so in other words, just when I thought that this shit show couldn't possibly get any more entertaining, Republicans of the past decided to hit their future selves with an Uno reverse card. And it is genuinely magical. And just so we're clear, let's look at the rule before you cry fake news if you're a Trump supporter. Sean Kasten tweeted a screenshot of it, which clearly states, quote, a member of the Republican leadership shall step aside if indicted for a felony for which a sentence of two or more years imprisonment may be imposed. But he didn't just pull this out of thin air. So if you go to the official Republican website, they list conference rules that they all voted on, by the way, which I'll link to down below. And if you scroll all the way down to rule 26, you can see it right there. And the reason why I'm being extra scrupulous is because I already know that Trump supporters are going to come into the chat and scream fake news. But I mean, it's right there. It's linked down below. So See for yourself. Now, when Republicans in the House agreed to this rule package, Trump had not yet been indicted, nor had they anticipated a situation where they need him to serve as a potential House Speaker. But unfortunately for them, their own rules came back to bite them in the ass in a very big way. And that's too bad for them because he was the only person who I actually think could unite all House Republicans. And after McCarthy was ousted, it's weird. You would think that they would lower their expectations since they have to find a consensus candidate, but it seems as if their standards have all gone up. For example, Marjorie Taylor Greene is no longer supporting a speaker who pledges aid to Ukraine, even though she supported McCarthy. And yes, he did use Ukraine aid as a bargaining chip, but he still vocalized support for funding Ukraine. Now, additionally, Representative Anna Paulina Luna, who also supports Trump as speaker, says that the next speaker must defund Jack Smith's investigations subpoena hunter biden and also bring an impeachment vote on joe biden to the floor even though there's absolutely zero evidence of wrongdoing from biden and this is something that mccarthy himself didn't want to do because it would be an embarrassment to the gop so the hardliners are hardening their position when they should be softening it currently if they ever want to find a new speaker meanwhile the pro mccarthy conservatives are pledging to not support a candidate unless the anti-mccarthy republicans lose their leverage for example carlos jimenez tweeted i'm not supporting anyone 
anyone for speaker until there is a commitment to reform the motion to vacate. The coup against Speaker McCarthy was despicable and must never happen again. No one can govern effectively while being threatened by fringe hostage takers. And I understand why he feels this way, but people like Matt Gates would never agree to that because the motion to vacate is what gave them so much power and leverage in the first place. So they're not going to just willingly give it up. And since you need their votes for the next speaker, you're kind of stuck, right? So they're at a stalemate. Both factions want things that the other faction does not want. And that's going to make it very difficult for them to all agree on one speaker. But we kind of just glossed over the fact that a Republican just accused his own colleagues of doing a coup against McCarthy. That is a very strong word to use. And he's not the only Republican who's pissed off. So here's what other Republicans said about the so-called hostage takers. Those eight people are anarchists and they're chaos caucus members. And the fact of the matter is they get their power from the 212 Democrats voting with them all of the time. And so they have demands that nobody can meet. There's just too many people who are willing to lie to our own voters and, and say, well, they didn't deliver. They refused to deliver. Well, it's like, explain the mechanism by which that delivery would have occurred, given the political reality we live in. So they're anarchists. They're lying to voters, according to Dan Crenshaw. But I also have to play Chip Roy's comments that took place before the vote because he literally threatened to fight Matt Gates, And I cannot get over that. Even if you've seen this, we've got to watch it again. Come at me and call me a rhino. You can kiss my ass. Look, I've spent a lifetime fighting for limited government conservatism. I have laid it all on the line. I have not seen my family for two days in the last 30 days. You go around talking your big game and you thumping your chest on Twitter. Yeah, come to my office to come have a debate, mother. You know why? Because I'm standing up for this country every single day. Still amazing to see that clip. So needless to say, most House Republicans are pissed that McCarthy was ousted. And in the propaganda sphere of conservative politics, they've also got some harsh words for Gates, along with the seven other Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy. They're traitors. All eight of them should, in fact, be primaried. They should all be driven out of public life. What they did was to go to the other team to cause total chaos. We ought to be focusing on Biden. We ought to be focusing on the economy. We ought to be focusing on the border. Instead, you're going to get a week or 10 days of the media focusing on Republican disarray. It's an astonishingly destructive behavior by a handful of egocentric people who think they're superior to 96% of the conference. And I do encourage all of the voters in Florida District Number 1, Matt Gates's district, to really vote him out of office. Send a message that this type of behavior is uncalled for, it's unnecessary. So we're to the point where guests on Newsmax are calling on voters to vote out Matt Gates, a Republican. And on Fox News, you have Newt Gingrich saying that everyone should view these eight Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy as traitors. These are very, very strong words. But even though Matt Gates may be public enemy number one, and there's literally talks of Republicans spell, expelling him from Congress, that's happening. I did a video about that. Check it out. This whole debacle has created really strange bedfellows. For example, earlier this year, Nancy Mace said this about Matt Gates's shenanigans. How are you going to work with these folks to, to get anything done for the American people? It's going to be very difficult. Matt Gates is a fraud. Every time he voted against Kevin McCarthy last week, he sent out a fundraising email. Uh, what you saw last week was a constitutional process diminished by those kinds of political actions. Yeah. Well, fast forward to today, and uh, she is now on Matt Gates's side because she is one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy. And she even joined him on his press tour 
to talk about this. But while she was on Steve Bannon's War Room, things got really awkward because she made enemies with lots of these people, and um, they remember. I don't quite understand why so many people characterize our movement as, uh, and by the way, people including the New York Times reporter you have sitting in the corner in the war room right now, when they write about me, they say things like, Kaboom. they say things like hardliner, the hardliner, ultra mega, oh, ultra yeah, mega, yeah, the, 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 the far, far right, right. Far right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, look at, look at who, you, look at, let's talk about this for a moment, <laughs> okay, Nancy is not a hard right uh, uh, I, in, you know, intransigent lawmaker, but our Venn diagram overlaps Didn't around spending. Did you vote to send me to federal prison for I like the months? Constitution. I'm a constitutionalist. Okay. okay. It's getting hot my, 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 no, my, my appellate lawyer would disagree about that, but that's not a so, so, but, but. Mm. Did you see the look on her face? That was so awkward. I would be really uncomfortable if I were in that room. But I mean, Nancy Mace, she's choosing to align with people who she once made enemies out of, and that's not going to be a very non-awkward alliance, we'll say, for lack of a better word. But, I mean, let's talk about what's happening right now because I do think that it's important. First of all, the temporary speaker has been named by Kevin McCarthy, and that individual is Patrick McHenry, another McDipshit, if you will, and he seems to be out for vengeance. So I do want to go back to yesterday before the vote took place while debate was still happening because he took a jab at Democrats because they didn't bail out McCarthy because I guess he expected them to. I understand where the liberals are. I know you can support the constitutional order, except in a moment like this when you are questioned on that. I understand that. You can't be counted on in a moment like this with the state of the speakership. Why would you expect Democrats to come to McCarthy's rescue in the first place? That's delusional. First of all, Republicans would never do the same for a Democratic speaker, regardless of what they're saying now. But why is it their job to bail out Republicans when the extremists that they've pandered to and emboldened for years have suddenly taken their party hostage? I mean, that's their problem, not the Democratic Party's problem. But McHenry seems to have an axe to grind, and on his very first day as acting speaker, he's already going after Democrats. As Politico reports, as one of his first acts as the acting speaker, Representative Patrick McHenry ordered former Speaker Nancy Pelosi to vacate her Capitol hideaway office by Wednesday, according to an email sent to her office viewed by Politico. Now, the reason why this is seen as a diss to Pelosi is because former speakers usually get to stay in their larger suites for the rest of their time in Congress. But McHenry is basically saying... You're going to have to get out because I want that room for myself. Now, this to me really is not that big of a deal. But what makes McHenry seem like a really big dick is the timing. And he can't control the timing, but the timing couldn't have been worse. Because Nancy Pelosi, she can't move her stuff right now because she's not in D.C. for a very good reason. Quote, sadly, because I am in California to mourn the loss of and pay tribute to my dear friend Diane Feinstein, I am unable to retrieve my belongings at this time, she said. Now, she added, according to Ross' story, this eviction is a sharp departure from tradition. As Speaker, I gave former Speaker Hastert a significantly larger suite of offices for as long as he wished, she noted. Office space doesn't matter to me, but it seems important to them. Pelosi added, now that the new Republican Republican leadership has settled this important matter, let's hope they get to work on what's truly important to the American people. Now, on top of that, Jake Sherman of NBC News reports that Steny Hoyer was also kicked out of his hideaway office, and the GOP sources tell them to expect more. Now, yes, this does depart from tradition, but 
you're not automatically entitled to a bigger office because you used to be speaker. So I really couldn't care less about this. But what interests me about this story is the sheer level of pettiness that we're seeing from Republicans. They are genuinely pissed off that Democrats did not come to bail out McCarthy. And that's so on brand for Republicans, but just funny to see it play out in the way that they're doing this power move, right? But I mean, this is all temporary because McHenry isn't the permanent speaker, although it is possible that he's going to throw his hat in the ring. But CNN's Manu Raju kind of gave us the most up-to-date report on who the likely candidates are and what to expect going forward. So let's watch. So there are still some questions about the exact who exactly will run for the next Speaker of the House. There are several people who have been making phone calls to sound out their colleagues to see whether or not they have the support to replace Speaker McCarthy. Among those people in particular, uh, Steve Scalise, who is the current number two, the House Majority Leader. He is one seen as a person that could possibly run here, as well as the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, who told me yesterday that he is open to the possibility of running, or he, he didn't rule it out, and he's signaled to his allies that he could be open to the possibility of running. Also, Kevin Hearn, who's a member of the Republican Study Committee, he's the largest conservative group in the House, has been talking to his colleagues as well. But others could also emerge. Patrick McHenry, who is now the interim speaker, is seen as a possible candidate as well. And they have to figure out the other candidates down the line, the majority leader position, something that the current Republican whip, Tom Ember, could potentially go for. But the big question is, who can actually get 218 votes in the House. That will all take place next week. First, the House Republican Conference will nominate someone to be the next speaker. That requires only a half of the House Republican Conference. But then someone needs to be elected speaker, and that requires half of the whole House, 218 members. And with Republicans, who that means that their person will face the same issue that Kevin McCarthy did, can only afford to lose four Republican votes on any party line measure, which means that Kevin, the new speaker candidate, whoever that person may be, will have to ensure that the hardliners are appeased and those moderate members are appeased. But as you can hear from that clip we just played, there is just an enormous amount of frustration, tension within the room. Getting to consensus will be incredibly difficult for whoever the new speaker candidate is. So Republicans are in an impossible situation where they have to find someone who can appease both the far right and the moderate wing of the Republican Party when they're currently battling each other, openly exchanging insults, threatening to fight one another, if you're Chip Roy at least. So it's going to be very difficult for them to all agree on a candidate. But there is an alternative. So they could try to find a consensus candidate that Democrats will support that will leave out the far right and allow moderates to kind of come up with someone who's not as firebrand, but nonetheless kind of shun these right wing dipshits like Matt Gates and others. But I think that that's probably completely off the table, even for moderate Republicans. So odds are they're going to try to find somebody who all Republicans support. And if that is indeed the case, they're going to probably be deliberating for quite some time. And judging by how things have gone thus far, I'm assuming the process is going to continue to be a complete clusterfuck. So we're going to have to wait and see, though. But I, for one, am thoroughly enjoying the shit show, and I will continue to give you updates as they come.
Twitter's idiotic owner Elon Musk is being sued for defamation after his irresponsible tweets ruined a young man's life. The young man in question is 22-year-old Ben Brody, who became the target of right-wing conspiracy theorists after he was mistaken for a neo-Nazi that they thought was a Fed, and Elon Musk amplified those conspiracy theories about this young man. In July, Vice News reported it was halfway through the Dodgers game. He was attending with his mother when Ben Brody realized some of the worst people on the internet believed believed he was a federal agent pretending to be a neo-Nazi 800 miles away. Earlier in the day, Brody, a 22-year-old recent political science grad from UC Riverside, had noticed people commenting on his Instagram account and calling him a fed, but he thought it was just trivial and would blow over. But while at the June 25th game, which saw the Houston Astros beat the Dodgers, his phone kept going off until he and his mother realized something horrible was underway. Before they left the game, their home address would be leaked online. By the time they got home, they decided they couldn't stay there that night. So the question is, what the hell was going on? They're at a game trying to enjoy themselves. When his phone is blowing up, you have people accusing him of being a fed. And all of a sudden, he can't even return home because the harassment got that bad. What happened? Well, here's what happened. As HuffPost explains... On June 24th, members of the Portland Proud Boys went to Oregon City's first ever Pride Night Fest to disrupt the event and spew anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric. Along for the homophobic protest were members of the Rose City Nationalists, a neo-Nazi group that had recently been involved in an online dispute with members of the local Proud Boys chapter, Vice News reported at the time. The protest quickly devolved into violence, with members of the Proud Boys striking RCN members with American flagpoles and telling them to be gone one still unidentified member of RCN is seen on video being propped up by his fellow neo-Nazis after he had been bowled over by the Proud Boys. Moments later, his mask is ripped off, revealing his face. The black-haired man bleeding from his head looks bewildered in the video as he goes to cover his face with his hands. Now, I can't play the video for you since it depicts violence and that'd be against YouTube's terms of service, but this moment on screen right now where this Nazi was unmasked is crucial because people on Twitter quickly tried to identify this guy who, again, they believed was a federal agent who infiltrated the Nazi group to cause chaos and make all of them look bad as if they weren't already making themselves look bad by being Nazis. But regardless, rather than identifying that actual person, Somebody online found Ben Brody's information instead and falsely claimed that it was him. A claim that was then amplified by Elon Musk. For example, this is a screenshot circulated online where Ben Brody says that he is a poli-sci major at UCR and plans to work for the government after he graduates. So, I mean, I guess since he looks like the guy in question and expressed his interest in working for the government, they took this as confirmation that he was indeed a Fed. Now, the irony is that this photo of Brody is actually a picture from his Jewish fraternity so you have a bunch of people online claiming that this jewish man is a nazi but elon musk responded to that post saying always remove their masks so they thought that they successfully identified this unmasked nazi who happened to be a fed in their opinion but in actuality they just dug up the social media profile of an innocent 22 year old now ben brody tried his best to tell them that this isn't actually him because he was getting harassment and once that started to gain traction thanks to elon he even gave them evidence he shared a debit card receipt showing that he was in california on the day that the fight occurred in oregon and on top of that he posted a video of himself to instagram explaining hey guys that's not me i understand that there's a bit of a similarity in the way that we look but 
I am a different person. That's not me. I'm getting harassment. Please stop. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Ben Brody, and I wanted to address the uh, false accusations against me. Um, I wanted to first off say that I am not a part of the Patriotic Front uh, as a member, and that, that people who are claiming I am, I'm being confused with someone who looks similar to me, um, and I've never been to Oregon City for any protest whatsoever. Recently, I've just been so busy in terms of graduation from UC Riverside and stuff like that. I was, you know, I've been in Riverside only. Um, this is just crazy to me. And um, I graduated on June 21st and I've just been hanging out with my friends. And then all these accusations are kind of just crazy and, and incorrect and you know, I would, um, my family and I are just being harassed completely and I would be more than happy to clear up any confusion if necessary. You know, this is just so ridiculous and I really just can't believe this is happening to me right now, guys. Now, that video was posted on the same day that Elon Musk amplified conspiracies about Brody being the Nazi. So how did Elon Musk respond once Brody came out and said, you've got the wrong guy and provided evidence showing that he's not that person? Well, Elon Musk did the same thing. In response to a now-deleted tweet by Zero Hedge, Elon Musk referenced Brody again, saying, looks like one is a college student who wants to join the government, and another is maybe an Antifa member, but nonetheless, a probable false flag situation. And then he added community notes, presumably for additional context, about this individual who he thought was identified by the right online. But therein lies the problem. There was already no evidence that... Brody was that individual in the video, even if they looked the same. But after Brody already came out and identified himself as Ben Brody and not that Nazi, well, Musk continued to tweet about him. And to make matters worse for Elon Musk, he wasn't ignorant, or at least there was an opportunity for him to inform himself because multiple users warned him that he's got the wrong guy, Ben Brody is not that Nazi, and his tweets about him are causing harassment. And you're seeing a couple of examples provided by HuffPost, but Elon Musk never corrected the record, and to make matters worse, those tweets are still up till this day. So Elon Musk ruined a kid's life with a couple of tweets, a couple of reckless tweets, and now what? Well, he's being sued for defamation, and Brody is seeking over $1 million in damages, and his attorney is Mark Bankston. Now, we'll get to Mark Bankston in a moment, but he made a lengthy Twitter thread about this, and he's going to take us through the timeline in painstaking detail to show us just how damaging this was and how reckless Elon Musk's behavior was. He writes, the lawsuit alleges that on June 27th, in yet another example of his growing tendency to spread false information, Musk falsely told the world there was evidence indicating Ben Brody participated in a violent street brawl on behalf of a neo-Nazi extremist group. On June 25th, a Dogecoin-themed Twitter user showed Musk a tweet from an anonymous right-wing extremist Groyper account making the accusation against Ben Brody, which included screenshots of the fraternity's social media post stating Ben planned to work for the government. Musk responded by stating, very odd. While not yet defamation, this was already pretty bad. Musk was amplifying unvetted slander against an innocent young man being disseminated by an anonymous extremist troll and an anonymous cryptocurrency fan. As detailed in Ben's lawsuit, numerous Twitter users began immediately informing Musk that Ben was innocent. Yet, early the next morning on June 26th, Musk also responded to Twitter user Matt Wallace, a crypto 
cryptocurrency YouTuber who frequently vies for Musk's attention after Wallace tweeted the same screenshots, noting that Ben planned to work for the government. That same morning, Ben made an Instagram video trying to dispel the accusations. He also posted screenshots of debit card payments in Riverside. He even went as far as to request video footage from a restaurant he visited at the time of the brawl, which he also posted. Throughout the day, Twitter users continued to inform Musk that Ben Brody was innocent and many of them provided a link to Ben's Instagram video, but it was to no avail. The following day on June 27th, Musk threw the full weight of a celebrity behind the accusations and defamed Ben. He did it in a response to a tweet from anonymous blog Zero Hedge. In this case, Zero Hedge's tweet on June 27th stated, Patriot Front white supremacist unmasked as suspected Fed. Musk responded to the Zero Hedge tweet and he declared to the world, looks like one is a college student who wants to join the government and another is maybe an Antifa member, but nonetheless a probable false flag situation. Now, some of those details were redundant, but I think that the timeline is really important. It's important to know when Musk made these tweets and when the information was out there that would have allowed him to educate himself and correct the record in an attempt to mitigate the damage. Now, the actual thread by Mark Bangston is much more detailed, so I'm going to link to that down below if anyone wants to read it. But this is very, very serious. And you might be thinking, still, it's Elon Musk. He's the richest man in the world. Therefore, he's going to have access to the best attorneys in the world, right? And that may be true. But allow me to let you know who Mark Bangston is. Mark Bankston is the attorney who represented Sandy Hook families in their defamation lawsuit against Alex Jones. And not only did he win, he gave us this viral moment where Alex Jones knew he was screwed. So you did get my text messages. And it said you did. Nice trick. <laughs> yes, Mr. Jones. Oh. Indeed. You didn't give this text message to me. You don't, you don't know where this came from. Do you know where I got this? No. Mr. Jones, did you know that 12 days ago, 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years and when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protected in any way. And as of two days ago, it fell free and clear into my possession. And that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text messages about Sandy Hook. Did you know that? I See, I told you the truth. This is your Perry Mason moment. I gave them my phone and then- Mr. Jones, you need to answer the question. No, I, Did you I, know I, this happened? No, no, I didn't know this happened. But I mean, I told you, I gave them the phone over. Just, just and you said, you said in your deposition, you searched your phone. You said you pulled down the text, did the search function for Sandy Hook. That's what you said, Mr. Jones, correct? And I had several several different phones with this number, but I did, yeah. Well, of course, I mean, that's why you got it. No, Mr. Jones, that's not why I have it. My lawyer sent it to you, but I'm hiding it. Okay. Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones, please just answer questions. There's no question. Mr. Bankston also only asked questions. Sure. Mr. Jones, in discovery, you were asked, do you have Sandy Hook text messages on your phone? And you said no. Correct. You said that under oath, Mr. Jones, didn't you? I mean, if I was mistaken, I was mistaken, but you, you got the messages right there. You know what perjury is, right? I just want to make sure you know before we go any further. You know what it is. 
Now, if you couldn't make out what he was saying at the end there, he was asking Alex Jones if he knows what perjury is since Alex Jones was caught dead to rights, yet still lying. That was absolutely incredible. One of my favorite clips of last year. And I just want you for a second to imagine Elon Musk in that same predicament getting grilled by Mark Bankston. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? I, for one, am very excited about the prospect of watching that. Sometimes, you know, powerful people do get held accountable, and it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes it does happen, and when it happens, you really love to see it. Now, whether or not that's going to be the case here with Elon Musk and Ben Brody, we'll have to wait and see because defamation lawsuits are notoriously difficult to prove in the court of law. Having said that, though, if anyone is going to be able to do it, if anyone is going to be able to hold Elon Musk accountable, I'm going to place my bets on Mark Bankston. Not only is he a phenomenal attorney, but he is a very progressive guy who just genuinely seems to care about justice. And what happened to Brody is awful. It's a great injustice, and Elon Musk needs to right this wrong. Now, whether or not this goes to trial is a different story. Perhaps Elon Musk will be inclined to settle. I'm not really sure. We'll just have to wait and see, but I'm even more excited about the prospect of Elon Musk facing accountability, especially after his shenanigans that occurred this weekend. So for those unaware, he showed up to the border wearing a cowboy hat backwards like an idiot, and he treated migrants like there were zoo animals there for his amusement. As Alejandro Carabao points out, I don't think there's a better picture that encapsulates the pure evil of our system where the world's richest man can live out his midlife crisis playing a fake cowboy in front of desperate and impoverished immigrants while broadcasting it to the world to incite hatred. That's exactly what he's trying to do. In the same way that he incited hate against Ben Brody, he's now trying to do that against immigrants. He's not done terrorizing innocent people because he's taking pictures of them specifically to demonize them and perpetuate this myth that America is being invaded by migrants, when in actuality, these are human beings who are desperate and they're looking for a new life. They're looking for a new home after our country's policies destroyed their homes, destroyed their countries. And for this elitist asshole to show up and then take pictures of them and dehumanize them and treat their suffering as if it's some sort of a form of entertainment is genuinely sickening to me. This man has enough money to feed and house all of them for the rest of their lives, but what is he doing instead? He's taking pictures of them like they're fucking animals. It's despicable. So even though a successful defamation suit against him isn't even going to put a dent in his wealth, I mean, again, Brody is asking for over a million dollars. That's nothing to Elon Musk. That's like 10 cents to you and I. Just the mere possibility of Mark Bankston humiliating him on the stand is exciting enough for me, right? So Mark, give him hell because this asshole absolutely deserves it. He deserves the treatment that Alex Jones got because he is a terrible person and what he's doing is not okay. And he's going to continue to tweet recklessly and endanger other people's lives unless he learns that there's a cause for this type of misinformation that he's spreading. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.